Other than that, you should be in Acts 22. I'm going to read some verses and, and pray and ask God to bless us as we study his word and as we prepare ourselves to be the people he's called us to be. That's why we're here this morning, to be all that we can be in Jesus, to study all that Jesus was for us so that we can enter into the fullness of serving him and knowing him. Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, lie, kill, and destroy, but that he comes to give life and life abundantly, that is overflowing, that is a life of vitality and purpose and healing and forgiveness and fullness and direction. And we get that from knowing his will. So would you read with me, beginning in verse 14. Then he said, this is Ananias speaking to Paul. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be as witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened while I returned to Jerusalem and I was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. And I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, They know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Paul rehearsing his testimony now. One more verse. Jesus interjects, verse 21. Then he, Jesus, said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Father, we ask now your mercy and your grace upon this teaching time and this time of exhortation and preaching that, Lord, those who don't know you today would know you and that the scales, Lord, of blindness would drop off of their eyes and they would recognize and realize, realize, Lord, that you are God and that there would be great joy in that person, that individual. And for those, Lord, who've already tasted, who know, you're it, you are it. Lord, may we show up this morning and say, what are our orders How would you have us to live? How would you have us to walk? What would you have us as your creation to do for the creator? We submit and we also ask your mercy, Lord. I submit myself to you, Lord, as your teacher today and ask in Jesus' name for an anointing and for a power, Lord, that is outside of anything I could ever come up with on my own, Lord. I need it desperately and you know that and so does the people, Lord, that have gathered with me this morning. So bless us, Lord, by your glory, by your strength. For your name, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. We've been studying Paul now in this portion of scripture for many, many weeks. As Paul has come to Jerusalem in order to worship God and there he has been given the opportunity to serve God by way of surrender. We've been talking about absolute surrender and absolute commitment to God and what that leads to and the power that comes from a life of full commitment. When you are double-minded, when we do things half this and half that, it doesn't equal anything at all. It's fractioned. And we learn that in Paul, that he is focused like a laser beam on serving the Lord. And he comes into Jerusalem, you guys know the story, and he's asked to take some sacrifices to the temple. There in the temple, some uh, naysayers and some mean muggers are around there, and they start throwing slanders about Paul, and he gets attacked. He gets beaten up physically, spiritually, emotionally. He's just, he's up against the ropes, 
Things didn't go well for him. Anybody ever have something just not go so well for you? Okay, maybe that was this morning. You know what I'm saying? You woke up and you're like, that didn't go so well, you know, or last night or whatever. On a serious note, though, we have things in our life that had just didn't go well. Maybe it was a marriage. Maybe it was raising some kids and you just blew it. Maybe it was being a kid and you were just in that family and it was tough. And you're up against the ropes and you got that decision to make. What are you gonna do? You're gonna tap out? You're gonna numb out? The world today says, oh, we got a prescription for that. We got this for that. We got this for that. And I'm not against that stuff in totality, but we, we like to make things easier. Paul here, in this situation, getting attacked, getting rejected by his own, by his countrymen, and even a little bit, let's be honest, Christian, even a little bit by his God. At least that's the way he felt. If you're Paul, you're, I mean, you're so sold out. You, you would think as you're walking for Jesus that God's gonna just keep opening doors and everything's gonna go real easy for you. I've thought that before. And then God says, well, you know, the, the easiest path is not necessarily the path that's gonna produce the most character for you, Luke. And I'm really more concerned about your character than your comfort. Okay, write that down and surprise yourself every day. God's more concerned about your character than he is your comfort. Matter of fact, he could care very little about your comfort because comfort leads to apathy. Comfort and apathy lead to idolatry. And that leads to living a life outside of God's perfect will for you. And God loves you so much. He's like, "Ah, I don't want that for you. I don't want that for you. I want you to live well. I want you to live full. I don't want you to get confused. I don't want you to grow numb. A lot of people ask me a question uh, in the ministry they want to know what God's will is for their life. What, 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 what should I do with my life? How do I live? And, and what, what should I do with my daily existence and my vocations and my locations? And anybody ever asked that question? And said, yeah, what do I do with my life? How do I serve? What do I do with my daily grind? And how do I live? We're going to learn some of that today as we study through this epistle and, and, and how God would have us to live with the absolute surrender and the absolute power and the absolute purpose of his glory. Uh, Look with me again at verse 14. It says, then he, remember Ananias is telling Paul, this is is Paul's salvation story. It says, then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will, see the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth. This is how we get to know who God is, by, by hearing and knowing and seeing. You've got to know that that's possible. There's some people here today visiting that maybe are asking, is God real? Is this really true? As a matter of fact, I sat at Starbucks uh, yesterday and I was studying and re- maybe two days ago actually and a dude came up to me. I'd never really talked to him. He just sat down. He looked at me, you know, looked at me like this and he said, so why did you choose to be a pastor? What happened there? You know? And I had my aviator glasses on trying to just be, you know, sitting in the sun. I took them off. I looked at him. I said, I didn't choose it. He said, God chose me, bro. God chose me at age eight, and I said no to him. I chose my own life, and by the time I got to 20, I was worn out and done. And I surrendered and said, okay, you do it, Lord. You do it, and I gave my life to the Lord. I said, that's how it works. God chooses people to know his will, to see his face, to hear the just one, and to walk with him. I hope you know that today. If you're here today, I guarantee you that God is calling you. I would encourage you to pick up the phone and say, okay, all right. What, what do you want me to do, Lord? The two most important questions you'll ever answer are the ones that Paul asked just a few verses up. I believe it's in verse 10. In verse 9, where Paul says, Who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? The two most important questions anybody will ever 
answer and or have or ask and have answered. Who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? Uh, by the way, Christian, those of you who are here and you're, 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 you're already in it to win it. You're on the team. You're going to heaven. You've got your J jersey on, the Jesus ticket in your pocket. You're good. That question is still important for you too. Every day, who are you, Lord? And the Lord says, yeah, I'm just going to give you a little fragment of that because if I tell you who I really am, your face will melt off, okay? <laughs> I am the Lord and there is no other. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am, I am everything, well, what, do you want, what do you want me to do? Good question. Good question. I want you to know my will, okay? I want you to see my voice. I want you to, 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 to see my face and to hear my voice. I've used a word a couple weeks ago called progressive revelation, okay? Progressive revelation is when God shows you his will one step at a time. That is progressively. Everyone say progressively. progressively. One step at a time. He shows you his will. You say, oh, that's cool. When, when Paul got saved, his first question was, what do you want me to do? He said, go to Damascus. The interesting thing is that was where Paul was already going. Okay, when God guides you, oftentimes he'll just keep you in the same direction with a different desire, different motive. He said, okay, I'll go to Damascus. I'm blind, I can't see, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of scared a little bit, but I'm gonna obey you. And when he got to Damascus, God gave him the next step, progressive revelation. Now I say that because Christians ask all the time, what do I do with my life? I don't know what to do. I got a call from a friend yesterday. Uh, I've been friends with this guy for 15 years or so, maybe more. And he called me, and his name's Mike Swinford. Lives in Salem, and he was just bummed. He just needed someone to talk to. I didn't have any real answers for him. He said, Luke, I've, I've applied to over 1,000 jobs over the last year. And I was in the running for the Multnomah uh, Marion, Marion County Sheriff, Deputy Sheriff position. I was 200 people narrowed down to 15, and I almost got the job, and I did, not I got cut just today. I just found out today. I don't know what to do. I live in a 700-square-foot apartment with my wife and two girls. I just don't know what to do. I've tried everything. He's a substitute teacher in that area. It just doesn't cut it. You don't work in the summertime, et cetera. And Mike Swinford has done his best at what he knows to do. And I honestly said, Mike, what I'm about to tell you is not going to put food on your table or a paycheck in your mailbox. I can't help you. I don't, know what you. I don't know what to do. But I'd say this, Mike, if you've done everything you know to do, and you've applied, you've waited, you've, you've fasted, you've prayed, and he's applied in Texas and Idaho all over the place, Nothing's happening. I said, I said, honestly, at this point, you're allowed to, easier for me to say, you're allowed to be spiritually content right now. And from what I can tell, you've done everything you know to do, balls in God's court, and you can just look at him and smile and say, hey man, I've done my part. I'm just gonna wait now. Like easier said than done. He's in a 700 square foot apartment. I already said that. But I said, if you and your wife are walking with the Lord and things aren't working right, but you're doing your best and you know that in all good conscience, you can just trust the Lord that progressively he's going to reveal to you what's next. I said, he's got you in that testing time right now. I said, if you've been sinful right now, Mike, and you've been just claiming unemployment and you've been not doing anything right and you're like, oh, I should apply to that, but oh, there's a lion in the street or whatever, you know, you've said all these excuses. That's a biblical joke there for you Bible students out there. Read the book of Proverbs. If you've made excuses, I said, then you, you probably shouldn't be you shouldn't be spiritually content right now because you know you've blown it, but Mike, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you, bro, for leading your family and for desiring to be a man, but you're gonna have to wait. That God's plan for our lives is progressively revealed, okay? When I was eight years old, God told me I was gonna be a pastor. How long did it take for that to come to fruition? 14 years, maybe longer. It was 1986 when he told me I was gonna be a pastor. 2004, I was ordained. 
1997, I remember a guy came over to my house here in Newport, Oregon. He prophesied over me and he said, you're going to meet your wife in Ashland. Say, hey, hot dog, that's cool. <laughs> Didn't happen for three years. Got to Ashland and lived my life, made a lot of mistakes. And then all of a sudden God showed me my wife. Now listen, God has promises and declarations over you that you're going to have to just kind of wait it out. You're going to have to wait it out. God will progressively reveal to you what his will is for you. So if you're in the waiting game today, hey, you're in good company, okay? Paul here, listen, tune in. Paul here is, is telling his testimony. This isn't current events. This happened in Acts chapter nine. What he's talking about happened 20 plus years earlier. Now he's standing here saying, guys, guess, let me just tell you how it all went down. Ananias told me this stuff's going to happen. Now, 20 plus years later, I'm walking in it. Let me tell you, read this other verse with me. Read verse verse 15. It says, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now, if you know the story of Paul, he heard that from Ananias. You will be a witness. What did Paul start doing right then and there? Right then, witnessing. He started doing it and he didn't work. He started doing it in his own strength and it didn't work. As a matter of fact, he had multiple death threats against him right at that time. And as we follow his story, he took a 13-year hiatus in the desert. Read Galatians chapter one and two as he tells his own story. And he let the Lord work in him the promises of God over his life. And then God put him to work through a man named Barnabas. Now, let me just say it this way. God's commandments are his enablements. I'm gonna say it again. God's commandments are his enablements. You guys say it. God's commandments. What did it say in verse 15? You will be my witness, bro. This is what's gonna happen. There's a lot of commandments in the Bibles that if you're not in the Bibles, in the Bible, that if you're not careful, you're gonna read it and say, I can't do that yet. I feel bad now. You shall, you shall be holy as I am holy, the Bible says. How many of you read that and just like threw up a little bit? You're like, well, I missed it. I believe God's commandments are his enablements and his prophetic promises over our lives as we walk with him. Jesus looks at you and says, you're gonna be holy just like I'm holy. Trust me. And we're Americans, so we're like, where's the app for that? You know, so, can I just, boom, how's that happen? Where do I upgrade? And God says, walk with me. Walk with me and I'll change you. Trust me. And you will be what God has called you to be. So if you're a husband here today, God's called you to be a godly husband. You might say, ooh, missed that one. God might call you to love your wife like Christ loved the church. And you're thinking, ooh, missed that one. Listen, trust the Lord. He's gonna change you. He's gonna mold you and he's gonna morph you into being more like him. Same with the wife, same with the kids, same with the professionals. God's commandments are his enablements. And I would just encourage you, if you failed today or if you're wondering what's gonna happen next or maybe you're just a little discontent with life, okay, trust the Lord. You're being tested right now. Paul here, years later, is telling his testimony. People say, man, just show me the money. Show me the money. Show me the promises of God. Show me the money. And God says, not without the test. I'm not gonna show you the money without the test. That way you have a testimony. Okay, it was horrible, horrible. Can't believe you guys even listened while I said that. Should have stopped me. Should have stopped me. Should have brought another note up and said, your fly's down again, bro. Stop while you're ahead. I'm honest though. Today, if you're, if you're a maturing Christian, a struggling Christian, a dedicated Christian, one who answers and asks, should I say that question daily, Lord, what do you want me to do today? He might just say, just chill out. Just stay on the conveyor belt of my grace and my goodness and you will become everything I've called you to be. I will provide for you. 
healing. I will provide for you that spouse. I will provide for you that direction you so want. I will provide for you that character that you lack. Just don't give up. That's what the enemy wants you and I to do is just to give up, just to give up. How many exhortations in the scriptures are there to not give up, to strengthen the things that remain? Look at verse 16. He says this after getting this exhortation that he's gonna be a witness. Verse 16 says, and now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And he encourages him right then and there to begin this progression, this progressive revelation of pursuing the Lord, getting up, calling on the name of the Lord to be saved and getting baptized to demonstrate and to celebrate that. Water baptism is how we celebrate and honor the Lord by saying, yep, Jesus Christ was killed and buried and rose from the dead. And when you get baptized because you're a believer, you go under the water and you come back up. We hold you down until you're dead and you come back up alive in that way. And we've done that here in the ocean numbers of times. We do it here uh, various times throughout the year. And uh, I encourage you, if you haven't been water baptized, contact me. A couple of you in here are actually uh, having dialogues with me on Facebook. You want to get dunked. And I appreciate that because Jesus has saved your souls. He tells that to Paul, get up and do that now. Verse 17, it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and I was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. Stop right there and just track with me. Paul's telling his testimony. And when he goes from verse 16 to 17, there's a three-year unmentioned period of time in there. I just throw that out there. Where he does go to Damascus, hangs out there for a while. He goes to Arabia. He comes back to Damascus. And then he goes to Jerusalem and he picks up right here. Now, I say that to any of you who ever have an opportunity to give your testimony. You don't have to tell the whole thing, okay? He skips a part right here on purpose. I'll just tell one funny story. My first testimony ever, I have the gift of gab. can be sometimes the the curse of words or something like that. And I remember I sat in this group and they said, hey, tell us your testimony. And like three hours later, I was like finding, trying to find a spot to land. And I thought everyone was just tracking with me and raptured with this story, you know, but they had all just fallen asleep is what happened. <laughs> and they had nowhere to go. Like it was just this awkward environment, you know. Paul here skips some of his testimony in order to stay on task, in order to stay pertinent here. And he says to these Jewish dudes who are quizzing him in his allegiance to Jesus, And he says, and then I came to Jerusalem. Some of them would remember this. And I was in the temple praying. He uses uh, spiritual tones and spiritual words to show them that he's a devout Jew. And he has this trance. Anybody in here have a trance or a vision from the Lord? I've had visions from the Lord where God shows me something amazing. God shows me something profound. I've never been in a trance, at least not while I was walking with the Lord. (laughs) Paul here says, though, a, a, a trance fell on me. I would say this. He's gonna go into what God showed him in this trance. This in Paul's testimony and in all of Paul's writings is the only time this particular trance is ever mentioned. Now I say that because there's some people here who are a little more hyper-spiritual than others and would say it's all about the spirituality. It's all about the events, all about the interactions with the Lord. And Paul says, only out of necessity am I gonna tell you that part of my testimony. It's really not that important. But what Paul labors long in, pay attention students, what Paul labors long in is who Jesus is, what he's done, the, the doctrine of Jesus, the, the work of Jesus. The epistles are all about what God has done and our response to that. Okay, Paul could have went on this speaking tour and said, let me tell you all about trances and how to have one and how to be one and I'm gonna write a book on it. And I find it interesting that he never mentioned it anywhere except right here when he's trying to tune into these Jews about how God directed him in his life. So make a mental note, consider it later. Here's the trance and how it worked out. Verse 18, and I saw him saying to me, Make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. 
So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. Jesus replies, depart, verse 21, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Now, this is very interesting to me. This is how many years after Paul's been saved? Three. This story. Good, good job. Three years. He's rehearsing this story. He's been saved for three years now in this part of the testimony. He goes to Jerusalem because why does he want to go to Jerusalem? His biggest heart's desire is that the Jews would know Jesus. He wants them saved more than anything else. You can see that in the book of Romans, chapter 11. He desires them to be saved. So he goes to Jerusalem while he's there praying about it. Lord, this is so good to be in Jerusalem. How do you feel, Lord? He's like, get out of here, bro. <laughs> I'm so serious. Lord, this is so fun to be here. Any, any words from you you'd have for me? They're not gonna receive your testimony. As a matter of fact, they're gonna kill you. You need to leave, Paul. And Paul here, this three-year-old Christian now, been spending time in the desert with Jesus. He's a mature Christian, in my opinion. He's already known the Old Testament. He's writing the Bible as we speak. I mean, I call, I call that mature. And so what does he do? He argues with God. He wrestles with the Lord. He says, Lord, I, I hear you. I don't hear you. I, I kind of hear you. He, let me tell you something, Lord. I'm Paul. I killed Stephen. You know, I was here. They know me. I, I, they know, they're gonna, I'm the guy for this job, like, you sent Jesus and that was awesome, but I'm the one who's gonna save the Jews. That's what he's implying. Now, Jesus doesn't even really argue with him. He just says, go, go, just depart. And Paul eventually does. And had Paul not departed, did you know he would have died? There was indeed a conspiracy against his life at that time. Had he argued against the Lord and put his foot down and said, I'm gonna do it my way, he would have died. Anybody in maybe a less severe case, put your foot down and say, I'm gonna do it my way, Lord only to find out that there's death involved in that camp, okay? Let me give you a couple principles about wrestling with God. Number one, you're wrong. Number two, you're gonna lose, okay? It's profound, but it'll change your life, okay? When you wrestle with God, when you argue with him, you're wrong and you're gonna die, okay? It's not good for you. It's gonna lead to death. Submit to the Lord. Those who are, who are truly believers in the deity of God, really, not just saying it, but who really believe it, who really believe it, are not gonna argue with God so much, okay? When you're arguing with God about what's right or what's wrong or what it is, and you feel him and you push back on him, when that's true, I would question your or my understanding of the deity of God. Remember that first question, they're laying the foundation here. Who are you, God, and what do you want me to do? That shows submission. Now, I want you to... to, to Track with me in this because it's very dangerous and I need to say this and it's on video and people are watching on the internet. People are gonna listen later. It's very sobering. Jesus said, there's gonna be a group of people in heaven one day that show up and say, we did stuff in your name. We hung out with your people. We worked at churches. We went to church and Jesus is gonna say, I don't know you. I don't know you. Every time I read that, I just consider, Lord, that's pretty scary. How are these people walking in your power and in your house and in your thing, but they don't know you? When you really know the Lord and know his will and hear his voice and see his face, there's a response, pay attention. There's a response that is different than the demons have. That should have got your attention a little bit. Because the Bible says in the book of James that the demons know who Jesus is and they what? It's a B word. Well, they believe and they tremble. They believe. 
They believe in God, no problem. They believe in Jesus because he's real. But the thing that they don't do, the thing that demons don't do is repent and surrender their lives. They don't submit. They don't, su- they don't read the scriptures, which they know, and say, that's right, I'm wrong, I'll adjust. They don't do that. You and I, though, we need to be those people who say, oh, so thankful, Lord, that I can sit in my 700-square-foot apartment with my family and just wait on you. Your God, I, I trust in you. I believe in you. I follow you. Or like Paul, who wants to save the people in Jerusalem. Is that a noble thing? I mean, have you ever done something that's just so noble and right, and God says, not for you? And you're kind of like, what? This is perfect. And God says, no, not for you. Wise Christian says, okay. And you swallow your pride, and you swallow your agenda, and you swallow your plan, and you submit to God, unlike the demons, and you say, you're God. What do you want to do with my life? I'm sorry. And know this, especially if you're struggling with, with authority in God today. God's plan for you, his will for you is better than you would ever understand. It is to prosper you and to give you a future and a hope and to use you, okay? Paul is stating to God, but Lord, I'm gonna be the guy. I remember I told the story before at the Ashland Christian Fellowship. I was a young pastor there. I think I was single at the time, serving the Lord, excited about Jesus and seeing people come to Jesus. And all of a sudden, right next door, across the creek on the same city block, the city began to build a skate park, one of the best skate parks in all of Oregon. And I thought to myself, Lord, you're so cool. I'm gonna be the skate pastor. That's what's going on here, isn't it? You're building this skate park. I'm gonna be the skate pastor. You're gonna give me a skateboard anointing I'm just telling the Lord this. And and I'm gonna be the guy that just skates and shreds it up and then preaches the gospel. It's gonna be awesome. And you're funny, you know? And so I went out to the skate park early in the morning. I hadn't skated since high school. And and I dropped into the bowl and I'm spinning around doing the skating and trying to get ready and just expecting this like air anointing to come on me. Any skaters in the house? And I'm just like, I broke my ankle, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I'm not even kidding. Like rolled up, I can't even walk. I'm like, whoa, Lord, weird. You know, now you're gonna heal me, right? Like, no, it didn't happen. And I kid you not, I went back after it healed, like a, a month or so later, you know, after, after I could stand all the bells. I was like, okay, that was just, you know, weird. Let's try it again. Same thing. I'm not even kidding you. And I said, okay, Lord, me trying to figure your will out, me trying to put things together and argue with you and, and make the most sense. God doesn't always take your sense and add up to dollars, okay? He doesn't take that. He's God. His plans are different. He's called Paul specifically to the Gentiles of the world. Paul saw himself as the best Jew that had ever lived that came to know Jesus. And it made so much sense to him to do it his way. And God wants our submission to him more than our sacrifice to him. I'll say it again. God wants our submission to him more than our sacrifice to him. If you know the Old Testament, you know the story where King Saul, bad King Saul, decided to do things his way decided to serve the Lord in a way that God hadn't asked him to, that even made sense on paper, serve the Lord in a mighty, extravagant way. And God said, I just wanted you to be obedient, bro. I only wanted obedience. That's good news, okay? If you're working super hard for God right now or you're trying to figure things out, can I just get to, can I release you like I tried to release my friend Mike Swinford to spiritual contentment? Just be content. If you're serving God and you're waiting on him and you've got a thousand questions and you need 10,000 answers, and things aren't all together in your life, just trust the Lord. Just submit to him and say, well, okay, what do you want me to do? How's that progressive revelation gonna look? And what do you want to do with my life? Because let's just say Paul did stay in Jerusalem. 
and did save the Jewish nation and didn't go to Rome, didn't go to the Gentiles, the gospel would not come to South Beach. The gospel would not have gone to the rest of the uttermost parts of the world. See, God's plans for Paul were way bigger than Paul's plans for Paul. God's plans for you are way better and bigger for you than your plans for you. Look at what Paul or Jesus says to him again. Verse 21, then Jesus said to him, depart for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Not only was he saying, I don't like your plan, Paul, but my plan for you is going sky high, okay? We're taking this thing worldwide. This is big time. I would just encourage you, when you get frustrated at the Lord and you, you, you make your application to something and it doesn't, fall, it doesn't come to fruition, it falls through to be a mature Christian and to please the Lord instantly, to bring instant satisfaction to him. The Bible says, apart from faith, you can't please him. So just to make him happy is to say, okay, okay, Lord, that didn't work. Um, where are we going? And God would say to Paul, we'll go into the uttermost parts of the world. Acts chapter one, verse eight, the first prophecy given to the church from Jesus himself. You're gonna be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, that's where it starts. And in Judea and in Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. And every good Jew that heard that kind of was like, uttermost parts of the earth. Hmm, don't know if I understand that. Probably not gonna even double click on that. Don't get that one. Like Jonah, who was asked to go to Nineveh one time. He's like, eh, I don't really wanna do that. But God does. God wants to do amazing things with the people of God. Now, would you expect at this time, uh, you're pouring out your heart, you're, you're, you're telling the people your testimony. You've shown up, you've been arrested. I'm gonna try and do some speed reading now, so pay attention. We'll see how that goes. And you're there, you're Paul, and you're, you're, in, you're in handcuffs, and you're motioning to your friends to listen to you. Would you expect some sort of response? Like a little response, a little bit of like, okay, okay, Paul, we see where you're coming from. Like we might not subscribe to that completely, but we see where you're coming from. Here's their response, verse 22. And they listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he's not fit to live. Okay, kind of like, you know, you tell someone your testimony, that's how I came to Jesus. What do you think? He's like, well, I'm probably going to shoot you now, okay? <laughs> I'm probably going to kill you now because you, what you just said. I don't, I don't like what you just said. I don't want what you just said. And you're Paul, you're just pouring out your heart. And you look at your countrymen and they're like, kill them, you know? It's not, not what every pastor wants to hear after a great sermon, you know? <laughs> We're going to kill you now on the spot. And they, they cried out and they tore off their clothes. They threw dust in the air. The commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that they might know why they shouted so against him. And as they bound him with the thongs, that's the leather around his hands and around his wrists with, with poles and the whipping post, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who's a Roman and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander saying, hey, take care of what you do for this man's a Roman. They just found this out. Then the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, yep. The commander answered with a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. Paul said, uh, I was born a citizen, bro. Like, I gotcha. Uh, verse 29, then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he was bound. If you're a Roman citizen, you play the Roman citizen card in that culture. You can't be falsely arrested. You can't even be legitimately arrested. You've got to have a lot of proof. You can't be bound unless you're tried. So these guys, these guards all of a sudden realize, oh, dude, we've blown it even to this point. Now, what's Paul doing? He's just walking obediently. Even to this, he's told his testimony. 
He's come to Jerusalem. He's offering these sacrifices. He got this slander campaign brought against him and now he's being attacked on all fronts. He looks probably pretty funny now with blood on his face and his, his garments are torn. He told the guard one time, I'm not that Egyptian terrorist you think I am. He's like, oh, who are you? And tells his brethren about Jesus. And all of a sudden the riot starts up again. So they say, let's scourge this guy. That means to whip him with the cat of nine tails until he tells us what he's done wrong. Paul's like, how about I just tell you right now? You know, <laughs> we'll just skip that whole cat of nine tails business and uh, I'll just uh, get to the point. And uh, by the way, I'm a Roman and uh, these guys realize that they're in it, uh, they're in over their heads. Now God's behind all this, okay? God's given Paul his Roman citizenship prior. We're not exactly even sure if it came from his grandpa or his dad. We don't know where Paul got it. Guess who does know? God. And now all of a sudden in this situation, God through his unique background is allowing him this opportunity to be a witness in the guard's position, in the guard's presence and with all these people. His unique background. I need to say this because there's some unique people here, right? Just look around. Okay, that's enough. Some unique people here. God's given you guys a background that only you have, a history, in order that you would be used by God to be a witness in the environment that you're now in. I, I take great comfort in knowing that God has been with me my whole life, allowing me to be in the positions and the situations and the failures and the relationships I've been in up until this point so God can use me as he sees fit. The qualities, qualifications, dents and dings, all the problems, the same is true with you. God has made you just the way you are in order to use you right where you're at. That's good news. Check it out. The very next day, verse 30, uh, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from the bonds. He commanded the chief priests and their council to appear, and he brought Paul down to him. He set them in front of him. Pay attention. We're going to zip through this. Then Paul looked earnestly at the council. This is the, the Congress of the Jews, the, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, they gather together next day, okay? Because this Roman dude wants to do his job right now. He realizes that the Roman card's been played. Uh, by the way, we don't know how they, they proved the Roman citizenship in those days. If you were to claim the Roman card and it'd be found out later that you were just lying because there was upwards of 6 million slaves in uh, the area at that time. So if you were just to play the Roman card, they'd kill you immediately finding out that that wasn't true. So they believed him. So they gather everyone together the next day and Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, men and brethren... I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias uh, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. <laughs> That's funny to me. And then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law. And do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? So here's Paul. He's kind of frustrated at this point, you know. I'm not sure if they served good coffee in the Roman prison. Uh, chances are they didn't because he kind of snapped at this guy and kind of had a naughty mouth. And, and it just kind of shows Paul is, is frustrated here. He gets punched in the face for this statement, which, by the way, the statement is profound. I have, uh, up until this day, lived in all good conscience. In other words, everything I did, I thought was I was doing right. I really did. Even when I killed Stephen, I, I, thought, that, I thought I was doing the right thing. You know, God convinced me and showed me later and forgave me for that sin, but I thought I was doing the right thing. What a testimony. So the high priest has him slapped on the face. He could have said at this point, uh, by the way, he does apologize. Let's read it. And those who stood by, verse four, do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it's written, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. So he realizes right then, oops, you know, sorry, I'm not paying attention to your guys' politics. I've been out uh, making people into disciples throughout the world, not paying attention to Jerusalem here. Uh, he could have said something too. He could have said, oh, that's the high priest. Doesn't he know the Bible? He shouldn't be hitting me like that. 
that would have got another slap. So uh, Paul just uh, stopped it real quick right there. Uh, verse 6, listen, we're going to get to verse 11. I want you guys to see this. When Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when, they, when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say there's no resurrection and no angels, no spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Then there arose a large outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees uh, arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, then let us not fight against God. Now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled into pieces by them, must have gotten gnarly again, he commanded the soldiers to go down into the midst of this Congress and to take him by force from them and to bring him into the barracks. Stop right there, eyes up here. Paul has the next day, an opportunity. And for whatever reason, Paul pulls the resurrection card. He says, hey guys, I'm being judged because I believe in the hope of the resurrection. Realizing the Sadducees were gonna cause a tumult over that. Realizing that the Pharisees were gonna say, well, then what's wrong with that? We all believe in that. And this fight began and he gets pulled into the barracks. He gets saved once again. And if you're Paul right now, you're wondering, where's James? James is the apostle that told me to come here in the first place. Where's the church? Where's my friends? There's no mention of them for various reasons, I believe. He's by himself. And you're giving your testimony over and over. You're pouring yourself out. You're, you're trying to see this thing develop and it's not working. And all these prophecies are coming into your mind about how Agabus said it's not gonna go well for you in, in Jerusalem, etc. Look at verse 11. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Stop right there, eyes up here. We're gonna, we're gonna end with that thought. You're in this position. It didn't work very well for you. As a matter of fact, it worked real wrong for you. Your life didn't end up the way it was supposed to, okay? And Jesus shows up and says, hey, you're doing great. You are doing really good right now. And Paul's looking around, you know, spitting blood out, trying to find his tooth, you know. Lord, what are you, Lord, I just testified and I, I, I kind of thought it was gonna be a sure thing and, and uh, uh, I don't know what happened to James. And I don't know what happened to me and, and Jesus says, I love you, dude. You're doing awesome. I'm so proud of you. I am so into you, Paul. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna show up in your prison cell and tell you that. And it's not just here in Jerusalem, bro. You go, you're going to Rome. I'm sending you to the bullseye of the world. We're gonna take this thing global. This is going huge. I'm gonna use you and I'm proud of you right where you're at. And some of you need to hear that today. You need to believe that God is proud of you even right now, today. All of your failures, all of your mistakes, all of your missing teeth, all of your things that went wrong. And Jesus, because Jesus is greater than you, he's greater than our mistakes. As a matter of fact, he looked at us and said, I gotta come down there and pay for them. They can't do this without me. And so he jumped into our life, lived it for us, died in place of us on the cross, and then rose from the dead and says, now I give you the promise of eternal life through me and the promise of me being with you to the end of the age. I will walk with you. I will teach you. I will pick you up. Some of you need to look at your prison cell today, your situation. Say, Lord, am I hearing your voice? Are you, are you proud of me too? Because Paul just failed miserably and, and I feel like I'm failing. And the Lord by faith, because he rewards faith, not works, he rewards faith faith would say to you, yep, proud of you, soldier. I'm proud of you, daughter. I'm proud of you, son. Keep going. Keep 
going. I've got plans for you. I'm not done with you. There's more to come. I'm going to ask the guys to come up on the worship team, and we're going to respond to Jesus today and say, Lord, I'm so glad that it's about you and not me because every effort I've ever put out there seems to backfire. Everything I've ever done seems to get messed up or tangled or mistaken. The whole experience in Jerusalem for Paul was one of confusion and rejection. Anybody ever felt that way? Just everything you do, just confusing, and you feel rejected, and you feel like it just didn't work right, and you wish you had more energy, and you wish you had more success. Jesus shows up and says, that was awesome. You know, that was cool. You just stood in front of everybody and gave the facts about me. Well done. Well done. You're going to do it again on an even bigger scale, on an even broader level. I'm going to ask the guys to bring out the communion as well. I want you guys stand with me, please, as we prepare to worship and to respond to the Lord. We need you to reveal that to us again. For the Christian here who's older and walked with you and knows that, doesn't even ask that question anymore. We soften our hearts and we look up and say, who are you, Lord? Who are you? Remind us that we would be softened, that we would be encouraged, that we would repent, that we would do away with our pride and our arrogance and our foolishness, and that we would live our lives for you. Jesus Christ, be among us now as we respond by taking communion and ask these questions and repent of our own ways and submit to you. May there be great joy here today, Lord, in a world that is topsy-turvy and in families, Lord, that have real issues. May you be welcome and may you do miracles. May you provide. May you remind us. May you forgive us. If there's anybody here today that would like to say, you know what, I want to, I want Jesus to save my soul. I want Jesus to be my king. I want him to take my mistakes and to pay for them. And I want to ask that question, what do you want me to do? And I want to live for him. If that's you today and you want to make that known to God, would you raise your hand and say, yes, Lord, I want to live for you. I see hands up all over. People surrender. Raise your hand to the Lord and say, yes, Lord, take my life. Save me. I need you. I need you. And I want to know who you are. And I want to live for you. And I need your help to do so. I can't do it. Lord, you see the hands of surrender going up. We just need you, Lord. All of us do. All those, Lord, in this house need you. So we ask your mercy upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The table of communion is open. As you take communion, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You celebrate that he's forgiven you. 